Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We always read out of the ESV version. If you have an electronic Bible, you can click that translation. The scripture will always be on the screen as well. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, um, you can always follow along there. Today, we are talking about money. Everybody say amen. Amen. We are talking about money. I guilted you into it a little bit last week. And so if you're looking around, you don't see somebody here this week that was there last week said, you know, I knew because it was about money. You're not coming. But we are talking about money. Now, I know that sometimes churches get this reputation that, well, I don't go to church because all they want is your money. They always talk about money. We don't always talk about money, but we do talk about money, okay? Uh, I was talking to one of our deacons uh, a while back, and he was sharing me his testimony about how he got saved and, and the discipleship process that they took him through at a different church. And they said one of the very first things that they did after he got saved was they taught him how to tithe. They, they, they got his money first, and that wasn't because they were greedy and they needed his money, because we know, because this is the culture we live in, if you can touch somebody's money, and if they can give that and be generous with their money, then their heart is going to pursue those things that God has for them, amen? And so we know that this is a major part of our discipleship. This is a major part of our walk with the Lord. If we, we can't say God is our God and our king if it doesn't affect our money. One of the statistics that we've read over the last several years is that with church plants and growing churches, which ours is very much a growing church, as you look around, you see that there are new faces all the time. In those situations, the, the, um, the financial increase never matches the attendance. That's because money is always the last thing to come to church with people, and we, all, we know that the enemy holds on to that so hard. And so today we are going to talk about Money. We're just going to talk about it. And so if this is your first time, you kind of thought this is all churches talk about, I'm sorry to fall right into that stereotype. Come next week, we won't talk about money next week. Amen? So, but today we're going to talk about it a little bit. There's a story of an old missionary named Eunice Pike who was working with the Maztec Indians in, the, in southwestern Mexico. And in her 40 years of service with these people, she discovered some interesting things about these beautiful people. For instance, the people would seldom wish someone well. Not only that, but they were hesitant, even the believers were hesitant to share the gospel of Christ with somebody else. You see, they believed in this idea of limited good. There was a limited good. If, if there was a baker in the village and somebody were to ask the baker, how did you learn to bake? Their response would be, I just know. Nobody taught me. Because they believed that if you shared your knowledge with somebody else, that you would lose some. That, that acquiring the knowledge would um, diminish your knowledge. And so they believed in this idea of limited good. Um, there was only so much good to go around, only so much knowledge to go around, only so much love to go around. So if you taught somebody something, you would unlearn that thing. If, if you had a second child and you were to love that second child, it meant that you had to love your first one, <clears throat> excuse me, you had to love your first one less. If you were to share the gospel with somebody, that meant there was less gospel for you. If you were to tell somebody about grace, that meant there was less grace for you to enjoy. 
to wish somebody well, to say have a good day, means that you have just given away some of your own happiness, which could not be reacquired. There was this idea of limited good. What a sad and lonely way to live that would be, amen? Man, that would just, you you think about that, how depressing and defeating that would be. Aren't you glad we don't operate that way, right? Aren't you glad we, you know, for lack of a better term, know better than that? We, We are free to love. We are free to bless. We are free to encourage. We are free to show kindness. We are free to share the gospel, knowing that there is enough gospel for the entire world, that we are free to talk about the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ, because there is no limit in his grace and mercy and love, and we can celebrate that, amen? That's why we sing songs that we sacrifice and we, and, and we do all that stuff because we know the greatness and the magnitude of God. We are free to educate our children with, with everything that you know and the gospel and everything else, knowing that that is not limited in its approach. We know that the good will never dry up. However, there is one area that we can relate to these people with. And I've already, you guys know what's coming. There's one area that we can relate to this idea of limited good, this concept of limited good, and that's in the area of our money. It's in the area of finances. How many of you have more money than you know what to do with? Because I know what to do with it. You tell me. It'll help you out. None of you. Oh. I should just ask that every, every time. and Maybe I'll, I'll get, hit the lottery. So. Um, how many of you have limited financial resources? Okay, we, we get that, that we, we know that. There are things that you can't afford that you would like, there are things that you can't afford that you need, uh, but, but you can't buy them, you don't have enough money, and so what do we do? We, we go uh, get some credit, right? We go to the bank, we talk to the government, we, we, we get a line of credit so that we can buy the things that we can't afford because our resources are limited. This morning, what we're going to do, we're going to finish up our Jehovah series. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the various names of God. We serve one God, one Jehovah God, but over Scripture, uh, he's been given various names. They're, they're characteristics, they're defining qualities of Jehovah, but they're all the same God. And so we've talked about these titles, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, Emkadesh, Rohi, the Lord our shepherd, Shalom, the Lord our peace, all of these you can find on our app or online if you want to go back and listen to those. This morning, I want to talk to you about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Many years ago, when I was growing up in church, we used to sing the song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for thee. Anybody remember that song? Let me see your hands, Jehovah Jireh. I told the first service, I hear a tambourine every time we sing Jehovah Jireh. But uh, um, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. I'd like us to say that together. The Lord will provide. Can we say that together? The Lord will provide. One more time. The Lord will provide. There is power in that statement. There is freedom in that statement. This idea of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, really accompanies every other name of Jehovah that we have talked about so far. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord will provide peace. Jehovah Rohi, the shepherd, the Lord will provide protection. The Lord will provide righteousness. The Lord will provide protection. All of that stuff, the Lord will provide. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to look at a very familiar portion of scripture there in Genesis chapter 22, which is actually the very first time that God is referring 
referred to as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. This is where this name makes its introduction on the pages of scripture. It's in Genesis chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer. Everybody say offer. He's saying to Abraham, he's going to test him. He didn't tell him he was going to test him, but God was testing him. He said, take your son, the promised son, the miracle baby, which the world will be blessed through. Take him to the land of Moriah, march up a mountain, and I want you to offer your son. He says, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The odd thing is, is that God is telling Abraham, he wants him to take his son up a mountain and kill him. Take a knife in your hand, plunge it into his heart, and then burn him in the remains and offer that up as a burnt sacrifice, just like you would a lamb or a a cow. Offer your son. This is inconsistent with God's character. This is odd. It's strange. This is not who God is. But God is testing Abraham. This isn't like a prescriptive story. Uh, It's descriptive. It's not telling you, hey, you know, go offer your sons and daughters or anything like that. God is not testing you with that. Um, There was something very special happening here with Abram. And so it seems very strange and very odd that God would ask him to do this. But we'll get to the bottom of this in just a minute. Verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. God is testing Abraham. He said, take your son, um, offer him, give him, sacrifice him on the Mount of Moriah. And um, so Moses packs the bags. He packs the, or not Moses, excuse me, Abraham. Um, He packs the donkey. He packs the fire. He packs the wood. And they head out. As they get close, he tells his two servants, you guys stay here. Me and Isaac, me and the boy, are going to go up the mountain to worship, and we will come back. I believe that in Abraham's heart, he knew 100% that him and Isaac would both come back because he knew God, he trusted God, and he believed that God was up to something, and he knew that they would both come back. And So what we're going to do, we're going to identify three Points. We're going to look at three statements or make three statements about this message to help us today. Number one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down on the back of your bulletin, your phone, or anything else. Number one is this. Worship is more about offering than it is singing. Worship is more about offering than it is singing. When Abraham says to his servants, stay here, Isaac and I are going up to the mountain to worship, and then we will come back, he wasn't saying that they were going to go up to the mountain to sing songs. And we have a singing faith, don't we? We sing. The, the, the worship set that we call worship, where we sing, the worship set this morning was awesome. Didn't you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? 
I, I mean, it, it, we didn't conjure anything up with like the specific notes or something. It's just it, God inhabits the praises and the singing of his people. And so sometimes when we come together and the whole group is singing the same thing, I, I mean, there's just this feeling of unity that the presence of God shows up in because he's used to that. He's used to the, the singing and the praises of his people. We are a singing faith. But Abraham didn't have his acoustic guitar slung over his shoulder, and him and Isaac were not traveling up the mountain so that they could build a fire and sing Kumbaya. He says, we're going up to worship, but it had absolutely nothing to do with singing. I want you to see this because I think it's critical to understand the events that led up to the revelation of Jehovah Jireh. And I want you to see this. God says, offer. Abraham says, worship. God says sacrifice, Abram call, or Abraham calls it worship. And it's interesting that that is, is so different, but it's such the same thing in that. I believe that we as faithful believers, as followers of Christ, need to understand that when we sacrifice, it's worship. That when we offer, it's worship. That's something that Abraham understood as well. You see, it's a lot easier for us to reduce worship to singing. And, and like I said, the music, the singing today was, was fantastic. But it's so much more than that. Worship at its very first reference in Scripture had absolutely nothing to do with singing. It had nothing to do with music. It had nothing to do with raising hands, except for maybe one with a knife in it. It had nothing to do with hymns or choruses and the debate of which, better, which is better and what do we need to be doing. It had nothing to do with modern or traditional or style or drums or, or electronic drums or acoustic drums. It had nothing to do with any of that. Worship at its core is about obedience, it's about surrender, it's about sacrifice, and it's about offering. It's about giving. So let me talk to you about this on a very practical level this morning, about how this plays out for us as believers here today. Because God's not asking you to go and sacrifice a lamb or a goat or a bull. Any of you? No? Okay, so we can just say that that's not happening right now. But this does apply to us today at a very specific level. When we talk about offerings, when we talk about tithes, we are talking about money. It's, it's money. We pass the offering buckets every single week for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, because everything we do takes money, and we know this, right? This is not news to anybody. Like, to have the lights on, it costs money, right? To have the heat on, it costs money. To be able to staff the, the, the church, it costs money. To be able to do some of the things that we do, it costs money. To feed kids, it costs money. To tell them about Jesus, it costs money. To do, develop programs, it costs money. Everything that we do costs money. We know that. Number two, in our interpretation of Scripture, the leadership of this church, the denomination of the Assemblies of God, we believe that as Christians, we are commanded to give 10% of our income to God. That's what the tithe is, 10%. And so when we talk about the tithe, we're not just, that's not just a fancy name for offering. That is an actual percentage of the income that you make, 10%. 
That's what our denomination believes. That's what we believe. That's what I believe personally, that God asks us to bring the tithe, the 10% to him. And so there's a debate. Well, do you tithe on the gross or do you tithe on the net? Look, if you're not tithing, just start tithing on that and then we can get to that later, okay? So we talk about the tithe. In the context of this, we believe that the tithe goes to God. So because we can't actually go out side and, and write a check and hold it up and God reach down out of heaven and grab it or just make it disappear, kind of like the, the Olympians in, in Greek mythology or something like that, we believe that the tithe will go to kingdom-building organizations. And what did God say he would use to build his church, the local church? What did God say he would build the kingdom? Through the local church. And so we believe that the tithe, the 10% of the income, is basically God's financial strategy to empower the kingdom advancement through the local church. Does that make sense? So that's what we believe, that the tithe goes to the local church. Pastors are not exempt from this, okay? Just because a pastor or a staff member works for the church doesn't mean that they are not at the same time required and commanded to tithe. Our pastors tithe, I tithe, um, uh, our staff tithes, and if we have a pastor that doesn't tithe, a staff member that doesn't tithe, then we are so serious about this that we will invite them to go and not tithe at some other church. You know what I'm saying? This is important. We believe in this. Number three, the tithes and the offering, the, the receiving of money, will give you and me an opportunity to connect to and experience God in worship like nothing else will. Nothing else will do it like giving of your finances will. Even in moments like this where, man, the music is rocking and where hands are up and you feel the presence of God, if you begin to tithe and give of your money, you will experience and see God personally and powerfully more fully than you ever have before when you obediently give financially into the kingdom of God. And if you just read through Project 365 this year, you read the Gospels, what you will discover is that Jesus talks about money way more than I do, okay? So if you're like, man, he's talking about money again, look, Jesus talked about money way more than I do, but they killed him, and I would prefer you not to do that to me, so I'll just stick with my ratio here, right? <clears throat> Giving financially into kingdom work is really baby step number one. You want to understand scripture more fully, begin to invest your finances into kingdom work. You want to hear the Holy Spirit more clearly, invest finances into kingdom work. It really is baby step number one because scripture tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Abraham was heading up the mountain to offer his son and he said, we're going to go worship. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It's a fair question because Isaac had seen his father offer sacrifices in the past. Um, just a side note, I believe that it's our responsibility as parents to model sacrifice and offering to our children. 
We need to teach our children how to give financially to the church and to kingdom advancement organizations all across the world. Because there's going to be a day where your child is going to grow. He's going to be super smart and super athletic because you're spending all of your time making sure that he will be that someday. That he's going to reach his full earning potential and he's going to make way more money. She's going to make way more money than you ever have. If you haven't taught them how to sow back into the kingdom, there's going to be major kingdom advancement that doesn't happen because your child doesn't know how to give their tithes and their offering. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility as a parent to when we are writing out that tithe check, when we are giving to the church, to let our children know and see we are giving this much to the church this week. And they look at that and they think, are you kidding me? Do you know how many Legos we can buy with that? Say, no, this goes to the church because we believe that Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, has commanded us to do this. And this is part of our spiritual walk of obedience as believers. It's important for us as parents to um, tell our kids this. Let me just give you a, a side note here. Look, I know that sometimes it's awkward and stuff to talk about money, and so sometimes it can be really quiet. But if you say amen, people all around you are gonna assume that you tithe and you give like all, all over the place. And so, so if you just amen me once in a while, people are gonna be like, oh man, that guy gets it. He knows, he's a giver. So just, you know, just a, a trick if you want to say amen every once in a while. So I can't, okay, where am I? Verse eight. So Abraham said, God will provide. Everybody say provide. Isaac said, where's the lamb? Abraham, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. It's this big climactic moment that we're just kind of passing over. He's getting ready to kill his son and offer his son as a burnt sacrifice to God. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Point number two is this. God sees what you hold back. God sees what you hold back. I have a simple magic trick that I do for my kids all the time. Um, I make a quarter disappear. I do it for the super kid church, the, the super church kids too. It's just a little quarter, and I mean, it's just, you know, just your basic, like, here's the quarter, you know, and you do... And, you know, you make it disappear. And then Stephanie, like, oh, that's amazing. Do it again. You know, it, but it doesn't take very long, even for my three-year-old, you know, to know that when I do this, and, and you know, she's three. She's smart for a three-year-old, but she's three, so she's not super smart. Um, uh, it's, she's, she's even smart enough to know that when I do this, like, to check the other hand, right? I mean, let me see your other hand. And, and, and so she knows to check the other hand. Um, but I believe that this is what we try to do with God all the time. We, we, a lot of times we come to church and we do our Bible reading and we do our, our prayers and stuff like that. And when it comes to the area of finances, we go, hey, God, here you go, <sighs> like this. And we say, did you see me pray? Did you see me do that? And we think that God is so amazed at this sort of sleight of hand trick. That he's like, whoa, that was awesome. How did you do that? Man, you got to show me that again. Go do that again. But, but no, we, we think that we're, uh, we're tricking God or we're, we're getting away with something. But I believe that God, like my three-year-old, is going to say, hey, show me the other hand. What's, what's, what's in the other hand? Like, I see what you're doing. What's in the other hand? 
We give our time, but we hide our treasure. God says, well, that's awesome, but, but what's in the other hand? We, we oftentimes will drop a couple dollars in the, in the offering and say, hey, here it is, here it is, I'm giving, I'm giving. But we hold the tithe, we hold the 10%, and, and God would say, well, what's in, the, what's in your other hand? What are, you, what are you holding back? Why are you holding that back? How come you're not offering that when I've asked you to? You see, it's the easiest thing in the world to talk ourselves out of obeying the word of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, we can even convince ourselves that it's the right thing to do. Look, I wrestled with this message, and I felt like, you know, in this Jehovah series, Jehovah Jireh, this is where God was wanting me to go. And I'm like, God, I don't like preaching about money. I don't like talking about money. How do you talk about money as a pastor and it not feel selfish? Like, give to the church, give to the church, give to the church, you know? It's, I don't like doing that. And I can convince myself that I shouldn't do that. Would Abraham have had a valid argument with God if he decided to withhold his son from sacrificing? Would he have had a valid argument? Some of the super spiritual people are like, no, no, not ever, no. But if, if we're like living in the real world, we could justify Abraham not giving his son. He could say this, God, <clears throat> look, you promised that you would... Um, give me more descendants than I could even count. Remember that time you took me outside? And if you need, you know, context, just read earlier in Genesis. Uh, and God, or Abraham could say, God, remember that time you took me outside? You told me to look up at the stars and count them. And I tried and I couldn't. And then you told me that will be your descendants through this promised child. And then you give me this promised child. And uh, he doesn't have any kids. And you're asking me like at 12 years old or something when he's only 12 to kill him. There's no way he could have God. If, if you... If I go through with this and I kill my son, then that would make you a liar. And I can't make you a liar, God, so I'm not going to offer my son. Is that a valid argument? Of course, right? Makes sense, right? He could say, God, um, if I were to kill my son, this is not consistent with your character, then the whole world would know that you are wicked and evil or think that you're wicked and evil, and they wouldn't understand. And, and God, I don't want people to talk about you like that. I don't want people to think about you like that. I don't want to paint you in a bad light. So if I do this, it will damage your reputation, God. So I'm going to withhold my son from you so that your reputation stays strong and secure. Is that a valid argument? It could be. He could say, God, if I were to sacrifice my son to you, my wife will sacrifice me. Is that a valid argument? And all the moms say, yes, of course. Amen, it is. You kill my child, I kill you. It's just I don't care if I'm married to you or not. You know, that's the way it's going to be. Are those all very good excuses? Yes, of course. But God obviously knew what he was doing. He was testing Abraham. And here's the reality of it. There's nothing that you have that God needs. Here's the rub. He does not need your tithe. If your tithe check would equal $100, God doesn't need one penny from you. He doesn't need it. He just wants to know that you have given him access to everything. So when it comes to money, I have a very simple question. Does God know your PIN number? Does he know your PIN number? I've given him my heart, I've given him my soul, my family, my future. I trust you with everything except my PIN number. And we cover it up from God just like we do when we plug it in the ATM. 
I was in Kent's class this last Wednesday night at the Equip classes, doing the stewardship stuff. All of our Equip classes on Wednesday night are excellent. I've sampled all of them. They're, they're fantastic. Um, I went to Kent's last, night, last Wednesday, and I'd highly, highly recommend it. And this is what he said in that class. He said, if you aren't trusting God in your finances, then you are deceiving yourself to think that you are trusting him with your salvation. If you don't trust him with your, self, your finances, then you are kidding yourself if you think you're trusting him with your eternity. It's good stuff, isn't it? When it comes to your faith and your relationship with God, hold nothing back. He is faithful. He can be trusted even when it seems like maybe he can't be. He always comes through. 1997, there was a a woman in our church listening to a missionary to Romania ask for support as they were reaching out to the and ministering to street children in Romania who were left homeless after the government collapsed in Russia. The end of the service, this woman said she heard the Holy Spirit whisper to her heart. Let me, what I mean by that is she heard the promptings, that still small voice. It wasn't an actual word, but just, just the Holy Spirit was speaking in, through her own thoughts. She heard the Holy Spirit say, if you give the money you are saving to cover next year's health insurance deductible to this missionary, I will give you a child. She and her husband had been trying for eight years without any luck to have a child. They were seeing doctors and specialists and paying for all of that stuff. There was more tests scheduled for the new year, and so the deductible was very, very important. Over the next several months, there's, this story is a big one, but I'm condensing it. She had saved the money for the deductible and had a decision to make. So she called the pastor up. It was a pastor of the church at this time. She came into his office, and she handed over the entire amount of the deductible. Could she have justified holding some back just in case God didn't come through? Of course she could. It was her money. She could do anything she wanted with it. But she held nothing back. She gave the entire $750 for the deductible. They prayed. He spoke a word over her. The very next month, she was pregnant. And at 41 years of age, she gave birth to a perfectly healthy, full-term baby girl. And, her, and they're, in this room, they're in this room today. Her, her Desiree, beautiful blonde hair, blue-eyes girl, in the back right now, running lights for us. A miracle. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Isn't God good? And listen, God isn't Miracle Max. You can't go and knock on his door and say, hey, I'll give you $100 for a miracle. That's not the way it works. But when you trust him with everything, he will provide because he is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, So Abraham called the name of the place, here it is, the Lord will provide. He called the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Number three, the ram appeared after the offering. So Abraham had his hand up with the knife. He was coming down. He was getting ready to sacrifice his son. God said, stop. I've seen that you've withheld nothing from me. Don't you touch that boy. That boy has a promise. That boy has a future. I have a plan for that boy. Don't touch him. But now that I know that you have withheld nothing from me, I'm going to provide for you. In that moment, Abraham looked up, and there was a ram caught there in the thicket. Was it there before? Doesn't seem like it, but he was there now. And God provided exactly what he needed at the exact right moment but the ram appeared after the offering jehovah jireh my provider gave exactly what was needed at the exact right 
moment. And this is what I want you to see this morning. I was listening to a preacher the other day. He was talking about money. He was talking about giving. He was talking to other pastors and, and you know, just the importance of developing this in our own personal lives. And he says it's like this. Some people see the glass as half empty. As believers, we have to see the glass as half full and know that it's refillable. We have to see the glass as half full and know that it's refillable. And we reject this concept of limited good when it comes to love and grace and kindness and gospel because we know that it is a silly notion. But I believe that once we understand the majesty, the power, and the resources of Jehovah Jireh, we can reject this concept of limited resources as well because Jehovah Jireh promised that he will provide. Because our God, who is our provider, has access to unlimited resources, and he gives free refills. He can refill the cup, can't he? But remember, the ram came after the offering. As I was praying about this, I felt like God gave me this picture that I want to share with you this morning. It's just kind of a simple, silly little illustration, but um, I I felt like God was showing me this uh, as I was preparing for this. I'm going to share some stories and some of my own personal testimonies, and some of you have heard these before, so just kind of act like you haven't before and make me feel good, okay? Um, but I want to show you how this, how this played out and what God was showing me with this idea as he was revealing himself as Jehovah Jireh. My journey to better understand Jehovah Jireh started with a really, really small cup. Um, I had watched my parents give. I had watched my parents tithe. I knew it. I understood it, but I didn't have any money ever, and so I never um, had the opportunity to give. I'd ask my mom for a quarter and so I could drop it in an offering, but it wasn't mine. It didn't matter. It, I didn't feel anything. It just, you know, that's what my parents did. But when I went to school, at college, I got a part-time, small part-time job. I got married. We were living on ramen noodles and love. And this small cup represented our financial portfolio. Is there anybody that has ever been able to relate to this? This was your financial life, a small, small cup. But we committed to tithe. It wasn't much, and we we poured out every single week. We poured a little out. We poured a little out. We poured a little out. Every week, God, in his grace and mercy, would fill it back up. We'd pour out. God would fill it back up. And so we tithed, and Jehovah Jireh filled it up with peanut butter jelly sandwiches, right? I mean, we didn't go hungry. Amen? And so we were tithing. We were tithing. During that stretch, there was about two months where we because of basketball and different things, we didn't make it to church on time for the offering. We always got there after the offering. Um, and so we didn't drop our tithe in the offering bucket, but Melissa had made notes in her checkbook of how much we owed, and it was adding up for about two months. It was adding up. For two months, we hadn't tithed. And so that check that we were going to have to write was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. When you have a small cup and you tithe $20, it hurts a little bit, but you can still manage. When you have a small cup and you have to give $200 in one offering because you've been lazy and sleeping in, that's a lot more significant in the cup. And so we were getting ready to do this to do this tithe. It was a lot more difficult. And I will say this, the longer you hold on to your tithe, the more you start believing it's yours. That's why as believers, we need to give it fast. Because you kind of turn into this like Gollum character from Lord of the Rings. You know, like, I want it. It's mine. It's precious. You know, sort of thing. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. (laughs) So 
We had $200 that we had to give out of this small cup, and it was a little painful. And so um, we were there at the service there in Kansas City. We wrote the check. It was a little difficult. After church, we go back to Melissa's parents' house, and they're stuck in the door jam of, of, of her parents' house is an envelope with Melissa's name on it from her ex-boyfriend. And in it, it had more money than what we had just given because he owed her money from like five years ago, and, um, and he finally paid it back. In that moment, the ram came after the offering. Like It was amazing. Her idiot ex-boyfriend gave money. Look, all ex-boyfriends are idiots, right? It's, it's a universal rule. All of you who are ex-boyfriends are an idiot to somebody. It's just the way it goes. But he gave the money. And God proved himself as Jehovah Jireh. He said, I don't care how little your cup is. You pour out faithfully, I'll fill it back up for you. And we didn't wait. I mean, we got home and we were like, oh man, that's going to hurt. Wait a second. No, it doesn't because the ram is right there caught in the thicket. So we continued to be faithful. And eventually God says, Chris and Melissa, I have greater things in store for you and I have greater things in store for the kingdom. In order for you to be faithful, I have to give you a bigger cup. Do you understand what we're saying here? So we moved to Hastings. Our cup got a little bit bigger. We're still tithing, right? We traded in our ramen noodles for Tostino's pizzas and it's awesome. God says, I see that you're trusting in other things. I see that you're holding back a little bit. I want you to start double tithing for a month. And so Melissa and I um, basically showed God our little cup, and we said, God, just in case you didn't know, you see that our cup is still small, right? God says yes. And we said, you want us to double tithe? And God says yes. And so we, we showed God the math. We did the math, and we showed God that if we double tithe, if we, tithed, if we gave 20% instead of 10, we would not survive this month. God says, I don't care, double tithe. And we're like, okay. So we talked about it, and um, with a little bit of faith and a lot of fear, we started double tithing from our little cup. Worship team, please come. We're running out of time here. Um, so we started double tithing out of our little cup. That month, I was the youth pastor. That month, there were three funerals that I got called to do. Nobody in this church, nobody you knew, it doesn't care when people you don't know die. So we did the funerals. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and I got paid for every single funeral. And God said, double tithe on that too. So we're like, oh, we got more money coming out. At the end of the month, we had given more than what we had ever dreamed we could possibly give in one month, and we broke completely even. Things changed at the church. There were some different things going on. I had to cover more responsibilities. And so our pastor, Pastor Tony at the time, said, I'm going to give you an extra $100 for the next month or two, $100 a week for the next month or two to, to cover some of these extra duties. And so we thought, oh, yay, praise the Lord. He's refilling our cup. Look at this. Then God says to me, I want you to give all that extra money for the first month back to me. And we're like, are you kidding me? pouring it in, we keep pouring it out, you keep pouring it in, and you're telling us to pour it out again, like, stop, and so, you know, with some frustration, we wrote those checks, that month, there was $400 extra that went into the offering, God just kept providing, God kept providing, you guys go ahead, a couple of months later, there was a couple in our church that um, said they felt God tell them that they needed to do something for us. And we had a small cup, limited resources, a growing family. God kept telling us to give, and we're thinking, God, we could save up and we could get something that we need. And 
there's a couple in our church that said, uh, we feel like God is telling us to do something for you. And they, they bought us a van. God says, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. It was nothing that we could have afforded on our own. But we give and Jehovah Jireh shows up as our provider. I remember getting this sense and this feeling that Jehovah Jireh says, hey, how do you like me now? It's pretty cool. We got other stories that I don't have time to go into where God is trading out the smaller cup for a bigger cup and asking us to give more. And, and there was something that God asked us to do, and I shared it in the early service. But God asked us to do something that in my heart and in my gut, it made me absolutely sick. It was a bigger amount than, well, actually, God asked us to give our entire savings, our entire emergency fund at one point. And um, we'd saved many, many years to build up that emergency fund. And um, God said, I want you to give it. He said, do you trust me? I said, yes. He said, well, then give it. I said, I don't know if I trust you that much. Let's be honest. God said, give it. Melissa and I talked about it. And so with fear and a deep sense of nausea, one Sunday morning, I wrote out a check for our entire emergency fund. And we dropped $10,000 in the offering at one time. For us, that's a, I don't know, some of you are like, who cares? For us, that's a huge deal. It was a major deal. Honestly, as I was dropping the offering in the bucket, I was waiting for God to interrupt me like Abraham. Wait, Chris, stop. Now that I see that you fear the Lord and you hold nothing back, don't you let go of that. And I was waiting for him. Waiting for him. He didn't say a word. Dropped it in the offering and it was gone. That was the only time I ever thought, well, maybe we could just get that back somehow. It was gone. And on a random Sunday, for no other reason than because God said so, there was no big push, there was nothing we were great that that, that was going on, but just because God said so, our entire cup was empty. Scary. That next year, God filled the cup in, in a year's time in what took us six years to do on our own. Just miracle after miracle, things coming in. Uh, a grandmother who was giving inheritances away and stuff like that. And it just, whoop, that cup was just filled right back up. If we're faithful to give, God is faithful to refill the cup. But the ram gets caught in the thicket after the offering. Stand to your feet. Say, Pastor, I don't know. You don't know my situation. I don't need to know your situation. I know that everybody has different situations. I I know that some of you have this gigantic, great big 32 ounce, big gulp thing. I want that someday, yes, but I know that God's gonna ask me to give more when we do that. But I do know that Jehovah Jireh is your provider here and here and here. Bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, this is such a crucial element of your faith. If you want to grow closer to God, listen to this. You can give without growing, but you cannot grow without giving. You cannot grow without giving, without pouring it out and pouring it out and watching him refill it. 
So we're going to close this service a little different. Ushers, please come. Oh, you tricked us. You're doing an offering at the end. Look, we're not giving to anything special this morning. All of the books and all the ministry things that we read, they say, share a vision and then take up an offering. Share a vision and take up the offering. And we do. The breakfast, you guys gave to that. But this morning, I, I want you to respond in just simple obedience. We give not to something, but because God told us to. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond, not to the altars. We've already done that, but with our pocketbook. And, and, and many times that is so much more difficult. But God will prove himself faithful every, every time. I don't know which cup represents your financial situation this morning. But I do know this, that there are many of you in this place that are afraid to take that step. You're afraid because you don't know if God can be trusted. You don't know if Jehovah Jireh will be faithful to provide for you in your situation. This is the only area in our faith that the Bible says, that in the Bible God says, test me in this. Give it a shot. See what happens. So God says, test me. So as Pastor Dan begins to sing, we are going to respond, not to the altars, but with our offerings, with our giving, with our tithes this morning. You may not have come prepared to give this morning. You pray about it. You talk to your spouse. You talk to your wife. You talk to your husband. You, you wrestle through this. Is this true? Is this possible? Is he up there with an agenda? Is she just trying to get a bunch of money? Or is there something more to this? Look, we're not just looking for a one-time big offering. We are looking for people to commit, to go all in, to believe that Jehovah Jireh is their provider. And when we do... The concept of limited good goes out the window, but also the concept of limited resources because we will see God refill the cup in ways that we could never do on our own. As believers, you pour out, God is responsible to refill the cup, and he will. Will you hold your offering right now? Will you take it out? Dear Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we pray that you would bless it, multiply it, and use it to see lives changed and the kingdom advanced. And Father, we know that today there is going to be some that are going to take a step of faith and they're going to pour their cup out a little bit more than they're used to. Jesus, I pray that you would be faithful to refill their cup and prove yourself as Jehovah Jireh in their life. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to give this morning. We're going to ask you to sing this song with us and then we will let you go in just a moment. Give faithfully and obediently here this morning.